0: From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: Welcome to Total SF in Exile, and welcome to my living room, Jessica Christian.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I am super excited to have you here, um, and I'm a little bit befuddled because my dog Ripley, who uh, rescue dog has some issues we're working through with her, wanted to kill my last guest, Connor. <laughs> and you came up and she like barked a little greeting, but then came in and it's like, she's your dog.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that, I, is that, a, is that something that, that happens to you often?
0: It is a common thing. I, I'm somewhat of a dog whisperer and I, I don't know what it is. It's just my love for them must be you know, they, they see that love and they know that I'm a safe person. I was saying when I came in, it's all vibes. It's just, and I'm sure Connor has great vibes. Dogs have weird things with men sometimes, but yeah. I just love all dogs and I'm glad they love me too.
1: I actually captured the audio of Connor, so I'm going to play that right now. Here is Ripley, my dog, greeting Connor Letourneau, our Warriors beat writer. Oh, that's awful. That is not the way we talk. Can... Yeah. Theo, we help out, bud? Sorry. Come on in. Have a seat. Be nice. You be nice. This my son, Theo, Connor. And here is Ripley with Jessica Christian, photographer of the Chronicle, current guest. Oh, you're going to be nice. So, oh, hi. Hey, hi. Hi, Mama. Hi. You're going to be nice. Oh, my goodness. She... That is not the greeting that Connor got. Hi, Mama. Can I come in? Yeah, come on Can in. Can I
0: come inside? Oh. Oh,
1: you're okay. Anyway, Ripley's glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here. I can't, I keep waking up in the morning and I can't believe it's Wednesday. Oh
0: my, it's like, it's been a year since last Wednesday, I swear.
1: Yeah, um, what, what's just your, your day-to-day been like? And we'll talk about it more later, but what's your day-to-day been like um, just the last seven days?
0: It's been a whirlwind. I really kind of spend each day thinking about what did I do last Tuesday? What did I do last Wednesday? And being shocked at like how different my mindset was about how I'm working and how I'm operating, not just like it work, but in personal life. Um, And like we said, it just feels like one day is a month and you're just constantly adapting. Um, It's been a lot of just preparation to go out and work Mm -hmm. um, and keep myself safe and learning every day. There's updates with everything going on and trying to adapt to those and still document what's going on in a creative way. Um, but I'm also at home right now with a work-from-home partner who's a teacher who's going a little stir-crazy. And, you know, it's kind of nice that I get some separation to leave the house and let him do his thing. But
1: Well, this podcast, it's going to be talking about what we're covering, the Chronicle, um, your, your wonderful photography. But I also want to get that separation here, too. We're going to talk about Sunol, where you're from. I want to get your photography origin story Um, We'll talk about your Windows Portrait series, which has been on Twitter, and you're starting it, and I've absolutely loved what I've seen. And we'll talk about the last seven days, what it's been like out in the field, what you've been doing to stay safe, and some of the things we're both looking forward to once this is all over. I'm Peter Hartlaub, here with Chronicle photographer Jessica Christian, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. So welcome back to my living room, Jessica Christian. Um, Distancing good here? Yeah. We got
0: six feet. I think we're good.
1: We're good. Connor and I had four, and then it changed to six, so I've reconfigured things here. Uh, I'm super excited about this, because we've been out on a Muni uh, bus adventure for hours and hours and hours, and 49-mile scenic route. Um, You've done a lot of the Total SF stuff with me and Heather, and I hear these little things about your, your um, upbringing and kind of your origin story. And I always want more and I want now to be the time for that. So I want to start with Sunol. Um, you're from Sunol. I know very little about Sunol, but you seem to love it and identify with it. Tell me a little bit about Sunol.
0: So Sunol, usually commonly mistaken for Pinol. That's the number one thing. I was like, oh, you're from Pinol. It's like Sunol, S-U-N-O-L. It is a small farm town of 800 people, conveniently in the East Bay area. It is somewhat of a secret little hidden gem that I have so much pride to be from. Some of the highlights, the well-knowns, is that we had a dog mayor named (laughs) Bosco in the 90s. Maybe like late 80s to the 90s until he died. He was the mayor. Um, Elected by a group of bikers drunk at a bar and then actually implemented as mayor about the next day. (laughs) Uh, And... small little school, you know, kindergarten to eighth grade school. It's just my favorite place.
1: Every word, I'm liking it even more. Um, tell me about that school. I'm imagining like Little House on the Prairie. Like, is that too far off? or
0: It's almost there. You're like in the middle of that. It is old Glen School, kindergarten to eighth grade. Me, my mom and my grandma all went to that school. It's... I went there from all nine years and I had 15 kids in my class the entire nine years. So it was just a surreal experience. It was kind of a joke that if you were from Sonal, you were weird, like you were going to be a weird kid in high school. And I did everything to not be that weird kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is just such a hit. As an adult, I just have a lot more appreciation for it, of being kind of like a little oasis that I can get away from the city now.
1: At what point did you pick up a camera? Do you remember kind of your first, photography experience and was it at cinahl
0: it wasn't in cinahl it was actually i was 16 and i was in high school and we were doing i had to choose an elective for my junior year and i didn't know what to do i didn't i wasn't a musician i was not an artist and my friend was doing photo and i was like let's do it'll it be fun and it was the first year that they had ditched the film program and it was just all digital so i really never learned how to shoot on film which is kind of a bummer, but I started just going classic cliche, like Santa Cruz with the Ferris wheel and the seagulls on the boardwalk, just like anything. And I was obsessed with it. I would do like little fashion photo shoots with my friends. And that got really exciting to the point where I I started shooting photos for the yearbook, just casually like soccer games and like the senior favorites, like most likely to class clown, you know, those things. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of it.
1: Was there a point where either it kind of bit you or you realized, oh, I could make a living doing this?
0: Yeah, so I actually, when I was a a senior in high school, I got accepted to SF State, and I didn't really know what I wanted to major in because I was afraid to be a photography major because I did not want to be an art major. I didn't know what that looked like when it came to careers, and it was just a little too precarious for me, and so I went in as a sociology major. And then once I got to SF State, I found the journalism program through a friend. And I was like, oh, my God, this is how I do it. This is how I let my photography, you know, be a career and still be relevant and always necessary as for news photography. And I felt like it was it was really like a hit me moment. My freshman year of college, I dropped sociology my first semester. And and at, back then you had to apply for the journalism program. And I got in. And I was so excited. Um, and it was really yeah, I was just like opening my eyes to this whole new medium and way to, you know, use my camera. Um, my mom was also a journalist. Yeah. And I told myself I never wanted to work for a newspaper because I saw how tired she was every night and running and staying up for deadlines. But I also realized that she always did it and loved it. And, you know, I, I can do it too in my own way.
1: What, what kind of journalism?
0: So my mom wrote a column for about Sunol called Around Sanole <laughs> in the tri-valley times nice um was a weekly column that god it was just struggle for her to find content because the the town so it would literally be like a cow was born to the koopman family that's the best and like so-and-so's going to college and those were like the headlines she was writing about or just we had a chili cook-off there was a thing called the bed races where people put wheels on beds and racing down the street
1: um, Bosco the dog is going to be raising uh, property taxes for, uh, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Things like I'm sure. that, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: So-and-so bought a house there. This is your new neighbor. It's very small town things.
1: My, my kids, like, the last thing I think they would want to do is be a journalist. And, um, you know, they've had little touches of journalism in their instruction, and they don't, like, think, yeah, they don't come home like they were struck by lightning. Um, and I think that's, like, a parent-kid thing. How does that changed? Do you talk to her about it now? Do you kind of think a little bit more about what her life was like or is like?
0: It's still a little different because I do have a feeling of separation from the writing aspect of papers. So, like, I, I don't think I'll ever understand what her experience was. But she takes a lot of credit in my career. Of like, oh, yeah, I was a journalist and, you know, it's only natural. And it was definitely... Um, an influence, but she's just so proud of me. She has my first Chronicle photo from my internship, my first front page photo framed in the living room, and it's just sun bleached, and I keep telling her, I have better photos now, <laughs> like all the time. And she's like, that was the first. So she's very, very proud of me.
1: That's a awesome, awesome connection. Um, so you were at SF State. I was. And um, at SF State, were you kind of getting mentorship? Um, what kind of grabbed you? Was it the actual photography? Was it the collaboration, being in a newsroom? What, what was the thing that made you, pushed you even further like this is going to be my career?
0: So I was a super, super breaking news junkie. Like I wanted to just, I remember my first photo class, we had to sh- photograph an event and it was just very open ended. And I chose Occupy Wall Street and the Occupy Oakland or Occupy SF as a connection to the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011 when Uh I was a freshman in college. And I just wanted to be out and shooting these really adrenaline-heavy photos, and I loved that rush of just, like, getting these, you know, amazing moments in this hectic environment. And I I remember I I was a freshman in college, and I photographed a BART protest for Occupy, and I emailed Russell... At the Chronicle. And I was like, hey, I have these photos if you need to use them. Like, I just love some credit. I was just pushing it out to everything. And I got an email back from him and said, like, we're good, but keep it up. And that was like four years before I knew Russell at all. So I was just obsessed with that. I remember wanting to be like a war photographer because I loved that adrenaline rush. Um, And that was the first taste of it. And then from there, I did like a Golden Gate Express was our newspaper at our school. I was editor for that paper. And it kind of gave me more of a idea of working in a newsroom. And then that kind of shifted from like the adrenaline junkie to, oh, I love this collaboration of like seeing my photos in the paper, knowing the background of like how we made the story happen. And that was what really got me into, you know, furthering my career.
1: I know a lot of Chronicle um, journalists uh, also teach locally. Was there anyone at the Chronicle that you had as a teacher? Any of your current colleagues that you had oh, as a teacher? Oh no,
0: a lot of my teachers worked for the Chronicle in like the early two thousands. Like Scott Tucker, he was a photo uh, editor for the Gate. He was my main mentor at SF State, and then now Kim Komenich is one uh, of the professors. He was a year. He started a year after I graduated teaching, but he was also at the Chronicle and the Examiner.
1: Oh, Kim, Kim Kamenich and I had some adventures. Yeah. Um, the the primary one was we went up to Oregon um, to follow some Bigfoot hunters. Oh my god! So and that was one of my favorite. I've since eclipsed it, but for years and years and years, that was my favorite expense report because <laughs> like I'm, I'm expensing like sixty three dollars worth of you know Bigfoot memorabilia that we use later for a photo shoot. And uh, yeah, mm. there were some weird ones there. He's an incredible person to run across, um, incredible photographer. Yeah. Um, I can see like you actually both have a lot of similarities in the way that you have a lot of tools in your tool belt and you see things in a way that really fascinates me. And I'm so glad that you ran across him in your career. Yeah. yeah. I'm
0: so, and I go back to his classes the most to speak right now. So he's always hitting me up to come and lecture and just do some edits with students and things like that. Um, but yeah, a lot of local connections to like SF state and the Chronicle. Yeah, I found that
1: So, how did you? Kind of get your foot in the door at the Chronicle was this the first place you worked or you you started at the examiner right? I did
0: it was a long journey so I can kind of Quickly walk you through it. So I started in 2014 as an editor at the Golden Gate Express And I think that was really when I got serious about it before mm-hmm. that I was an SF weekly intern doing like arts and entertainment galleries and I didn't I didn't like it very much because I wasn't out there photographing I was editing a lot um I went to Italy right after that started the newspaper really got into the groove of a newsroom um immediately started right after that as an examiner intern um a day after I ended that internship I was a chronicle intern for two semesters so I really like and then after that I graduated and then I had two days I went to Michigan, did an internship for eight months, had three days, got a job offer in Michigan to become the editor of the Examiner, photo editor of the Examiner, mm-hmm. drove across the country immediately and started that job. I was at the Examiner for two years as a photo editor and their only photographer.
1: Yeah. Oh. I, and, and let's talk about that. that I, I really respect and I've grown to respect them even more. I worked at the Examiner the year before. Um, it's switched over and it's a different entity now. Um, but so scrappy. Um, what's it like being the only photographer for a day, a daily?
0: It was insane because I think now I think back and I'm like, I don't know how I did it. I really, and it was a lot of self-motivating to make myself go take those photos and not use like, oh, we have a photo of that bus or we have a photo of that building to make it interesting and to keep it relevant and new. I had to shoot like six or seven assignments a day, and I would—I had no car. I had to take a bus everywhere, and I had no scooters back then. And so it was just a lot of running around. I was able to hire a couple interns in the summertime through SF State and other colleges in the area to help me a little bit, but I also didn't – I was an intern a month before I started having interns, yeah. and it was surreal to like ask them to do anything. And so it was a whirlwind, but you're right about the – just I loved those people and still love them so much we were just such a unit and I would watch we all sit in the same room at the examiner it was like all the editors all the reporters me and like the page designers we're all in one room so I'm always listening to like their phone calls and their story building and I'm just I'm blown away by by those people and I still am
1: In my 20s, really my first job, second job out of college was I went down to L.A. when O.J. Simpson went on trial and suddenly there were a lot of courtroom jobs that they were willing to give people who weren't qualified for them. So I took one of those at a little tiny wire service. And what you're describing is very similar. I mean, it it feels like I was there for two years, but it feels like in terms of both the time stretching out and the learning, it was dog years. I am (laughs) so grateful to the editors um, the two editors at City News Service, um, like I should have been paying them for what I learned there, um, the friendships I formed, I'm still friends with those people, and and we went through something. I don't like comparing it to war or something like that because that's a different thing, but we went through something together. And I think as you get more and more distance from it, you're going to realize what an asset it was. Even though I'm oh, sure yeah. you look at it now and think that's that was not healthy.
0: I'm proud of myself. That's the one thing is I'm I don't know what it is, but I'm so hard on myself just in every aspect of my life. And I do credit that to like where I've gotten with my work of just pushing myself harder and harder. But Mm -hmm. I think you're right. It was unhealthy how hard I was pushing myself and not kind of taking a step back to see the bigger picture or, you know, being more conscious about thinking back and learning more about making mistakes and chronicling that in my brain and moving forward. It was just a whirlwind. It was yeah. an absolute whirlwind. Um,
1: so you get there to the Chronicle, right? I'm, I'm assuming people were noticing your good work. and
0: So the Chronicle, I was already an intern. I was an intern for two semesters when I was at the Chronicle, which hadn't been done before. And so I yeah. had a real good relationship with a lot of the editors. Back then it was Judy Walgren who was my editor, and mm-hmm. she took a liking to me and became really like my... Um, one of my mentors for sure, and stuck her neck out for me a lot. Just Judy, to,
1: Judy Walgren was a memorable badass and yes. helped me out a lot. Um, just, I'm not a photographer, and she helped me out a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and also Nicole was on staff as deputy director then. She knew me and Russell, so I had a good relationship with them. Um, and Audrey, too. She remembered me as an intern um, before she was editor-in-chief. I was there, so it was really, I think what happened was I was at the examiner seeing myself getting burnt out, And realizing that I just wanted to have more of a photo. Yeah, as the only photographer, you don't have anyone to bounce your work off of. You don't have anyone to kind of navigate that with. And so I turned to the Chronicle to see if they had any opportunities for me. And one came up, luckily. And I started pretty much Friday. I ended the examiner. And Monday, I was at the Chronicle. (laughs) It was surreal.
1: I think of you as... That breaking news photographer. Um, I, I think the fires, was that the first really big thing, or were you doing stuff before that? that uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> it it's like, all runs it's together.
0: Run. The fires, so I started, the first fire I covered, I was at the Examiner, and it was the Santa Rosa Tubbs fire. That was the first big one. That was different because I wasn't one, it was me and a reporter with no direction, um, and we were the only ones... Yeah, we had no support kind of from the editors because there was no one else. Such a breaking news situation because you don't, things are always evolving. Um, But those were kind of my first real front lines photo work, was that. But nothing, nothing compares to the paradise. I am Mm -hmm. still haunted by that. Yeah. And I'll never forget that. And just that immediacy of being a human being in those really pressing moments while still trying to juggle deadlines and you know storylines and knowing for print what you're trying to capture while keeping yourself safe and letting the people that I would come across in that fire know that they were safe and it was just so much to learn and I learned a lot
1: what were you thinking when you drove up there do you remember I uh, cried
0: all night the night before because I just didn't know I was so scared because I mean as photographers we're not necessarily supposed to go out with their like required to go with the reporter, but I felt I had to have someone as a support. And it was such a live situation that if I came across a story, I wanted a writer with me and vice versa. They would need a photographer. There was no communication with all the power lines were down. Everything was out. So me and um, uh, a reporter went up there and we had tried to find different storylines and we were just kind of come across, but it was just very unknown and I think that there's a lot of parallels with that kind of uncertainty with today's coverage of the coronavirus, but that was a different, like you see flames in front of you. That, yeah. You know, that is like an immediate reaction to that. Um, but I was just thinking, how can I do this, keep myself safe and help the people that need help? Because I I knew that if I had to drop my camera and go run and save somebody, I was going to do that. And if that costed me anything, I didn't care because it wasn't about that. And it was mm-hmm. just like trying to, bring the empathy that I bring into all my assignments in like a physical form in that way um while still you know fulfilling my needs to tell a story and find those stories and it was it was crazy
1: how does it work in your brain I've talked a little bit with Lizzie about this but um there's the human there's the empathy that I'm sure is just you're a very caring person But there's also the journalist and is it like a switch, you know, in terms of the moment when you've got to do your job versus the time that you start thinking about what you've seen?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, So in the moment, I'm thinking about work. Like I it is a great there is like some truth to like the lens is a separation where it's like if I'm looking through it at my camera, there's a weird separation of my emotions to the situation and scene. Um, So I was balancing that where it'd be like, first, I would make sure the person's okay. I would let them know what I'm doing. I would give like all of my support and apologies and everything, but let them know that I wanted to tell their story and make sure the world sees what's going on. And then I jump in to take photos and it's like, you know when you need to drop your camera and help, you know when you have a comfortable situation to just document and observe. Um, And so it is an unconscious switch. Yeah. It is hard to look back and think of. It's hard to know how to feel later, you know, because you are in those moments of real height. I am turned on as a journalist. And my feelings as a journalist is like, I'm doing my part, I'm doing all I can. I'm helping if I need to, those are taken care of. And so I can just move forward and do my job. Um, But also respecting people's boundaries and respecting their privacies. And if they didn't want photos taken, not, you know, being that journalist that just kind of needs the story was a huge importance for me to remember.
1: As these kind of crises seem to come in waves, sometimes unexpectedly, um, are you thinking to yourself, I'm dreading the next one, or are you thinking, like, this is something that I do, this is part of my my code, my calling, <laughs> that when a crisis comes up, you can get yourself ready for it, and, and, and not obviously be looking forward to it, or in any way... Um, have it be a positive thing, but be ready for it.
0: Yeah, I think that I have definitely had... It's like a template, you know? And it's it depends on the the disaster, which is a terrible thing to say. Mm-hmm. But I know what to do in a fire now. You know, after the Paradise Fire, I was extremely prepared for the Kincaid Fire, which was a lot less devastating with Live Lost. Um, and I knew how to... You know, it's about like getting a pack, like a survival pack in your car, knowing your storylines, knowing... Those basics with fire coverage, I know how to operate in a flood now because I did flood coverage in Guerneville. I've never covered an earthquake yet, so that's to know. But you kind of use those tools from other disaster situations as just like a baseline of safety and coverage. And you adapt as you go forward. But like I've said with this coronavirus, it's a totally different beast because it isn't a physical flame in front of me. It isn't a body of water I need to navigate around. It's like a silent thing out there. Yeah. And I'm more afraid of this than any fire. Yeah.
1: I, I want to get into that now, too. Um, I feel like we have this fire season, and you can kind of prepare for it almost mentally. And then there's maybe the blackouts and maybe the flooding. I feel like we were coming out of that danger, and then this right now was going to be the time where we could sort of collect ourselves and recharge. And then the coronavirus comes up. Do you, do you remember when you first heard about coronavirus and when you realized you know this is crisis mode
0: i think it was like february 26th i remember that because on february on march 1st i photographed a theatrical performance in Sonal that i was doing a project on that mm. actually got cut short because or postponed because of this coronavirus they had to shut down production and i remember everyone was a little more cautious like hey we're not shaking hands At the line after, you know, the actors aren't going to shake hands with you. um, Hand sanitizer everywhere. But, you know, there's still a group of 50 people in this theater. And I didn't feel worried. And that feels like years ago. It just truly feels it's the 18th today. And I can't. It's just every single day since then, it's been a little more cautious, a little more cautious. A little change in my daily life and the way I work. And it just feels like, yeah, you, you have to take it day by day.
1: What were the first days like compared to now? How have things changed for you just in the last, what is it, eight days, ten days? I
0: need to look at a calendar real. I'm going to look at a calendar so that I can remember. Today's the 18th. So my first real coronavirus story happened on Friday the 13th. I had to photograph a mass service at St. Ignatius, Uh um, and it was sparsely attended. They had people separated in the pews but i was close enough to people to get their name where i wasn't thinking about my distance away i wasn't wiping my cameras yet so you know as of friday from i think sun i had sunday monday off tuesday it got real yesterday is that is today wednesday yeah i'm just so (laughs) thrown sure
1: it feels like every day is five days yeah
0: it does and so as of tuesday i have like a strict new protocol personally for my safety and others where I'm wearing a mask and gloves if I'm in any crowded public situation, just to make people know that I'm being careful and just to like be more approachable. I'm wiping down all my camera gear in my car before I come in the house in my bag. I'm leaving it in the car empty. Um, I'm stripping my clothes right when I walk in the door and showering immediately. So I have an outdoor set of clothing so that I'm not bringing anything home. I have an outdoor set of shoes, so I don't bring anything in the house. Um, But also just it's been it's been hard to navigate how to do my job safely and mentally thinking about my personal life and my family's life and trying to juggle that. But I just know that if I have to be out in the community, all I can do is keep people around me safe and do all the precautions to keep myself clean and safe so that I can do my job safely.
1: Yeah, I mean, we got this work from home. Um, We tested it out about a week and a half ago, and then we got the edict uh, six days ago and you can't work from home there's no you know unless it's photo editing which is not what you do you know normally you don't have a work from home
0: yeah it's really hard because yeah it's imp- it's hard to get out of bed and go out in the world knowing that everybody isn't but also that's what i do every day and what i've done in fires and floods and i and there's no part of me that is is hesitant to do it cuz i'm very grateful for the position and responsibility i have to give people information that can't be outside and I'm willing to risk my health or whatever it is to do that. Um, But it is like now I'm working out of my car. I'm not going to coffee shops to file like I would. I can't always go home in between assignments if I'm in San Francisco. Um, So it is kind of, we're all trying to figure it out one day at a time of how this coverage continues while keeping ourselves safe, how it's going to look. Uh, you know now you can only photograph empty streets for so long before it gets a little bit redundant you don't want to go into the house of people working from home because you want to keep them safe and you know mm-hmm. make them feel comfortable uh, so it's about at this point getting creative with how we visualize the story and using the community as a resource to tell our, their stories to us and to reach out because we can't be going on the street and asking people their stories
1: it's hard is that where your Windows Portrait series came from?
0: Yes. So I've started this series um, of photos of people in their windows of their house from outside so that, you know, I can promote social distancing. Like, hey, you can also document this while staying safe. And also, it's just such a unique situation that almost everybody is home all day now. So it's the easy, It's one of the easiest projects because I could just say, "Hey, are yes. Hey, are you gonna be there today? Yeah. Where else am I gonna go? <laughs> Everyone's kind of down. They just have yeah. to walk up to their living room window. And I've done multiple where we're doing every window in the house, like going circling the house together, and they're yelling like, "Go over there. Go over here." And you know, it's been really f- fun, and it's been a way, yeah, a creative way for me to visualize, and it's also therapeutic. I've found. I'm getting a lot of joy in like seeing these people in their windows and like they're happy and, you know, they're excited to be part of a project and it's kind of a community builder in a way. Um, and it fills the, the empty moments in this job on my shift when I, and you know, instead of thinking about all the dread and the t- tragedy, I can go take a portrait and I can think about that instead yeah. of you know, thinking about everything else.
1: Children and dogs, you know, I mean, that's that's part of what's going to get us through this. It, it just, um, I, I talked to an uh, intervention lead, a mental health professional who works with kids, and she really reset me because I'll get some bad news and like run and tell my wife and, you know, lecture the kids. You can't do And, th- and then I realized like the best thing I can do for them is like go down in the basement and have a Nerf gun fight, you know, rearrange <laughs> all the furniture. I mean, it. we sort of need to like not just convey this information and there's very important practices that we have to do. We also have to keep ourselves healthy, mentally healthy, yeah. you know.
0: It's been crazy. And it's like I was with my partner yesterday and today is day two of the of the shelter in place and we already are like, what are we going to do? Like how can't even you know you can go on a walk and you can go on a hike and things but also only we did four walks in our neighborhood yesterday because we just like what do we do and it's just so tense because you're crossing the street with someone else if they walk by and you know trying i told him yesterday i was like we need to start thinking of new things to do (laughs) and like hobbies to get into i bet i'm just thinking of all the talent that's going to come out of this and all of the skills and you know information everyone's going to be reading and doing projects and It's gonna be interesting to see but yeah keeping positive and I think this window portrait has helped a lot of people try to like Lighten it a little bit because yeah, they're stuck at home with their kids and hey kids We're gonna go to the window and smile and it's been really bubbly, you know vibes from everybody
1: I love it seeing the kids because they don't know, you know, And, and they don't need to know anything more than how to keep safe So every time I see one of those kids on your Twitter feed, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's that's the mood I want to see right now. (laughs) Um, Where can people see this? What's the best place? Um, Your Instagram and Twitter? So
0: Twitter is for now I'm kind of just doing. So the goal is to photograph this whole series through the entire shelter in place order so that I can continue to have people reach out to me that are interested in it and kind of fill my days with that and do a few at a day at a time. And then at the end, I'm going to have a huge package of just portraits of people for now. I'm kind of just posting those offside moments that aren't post photos of just like humanity on Twitter as yeah. a thread, just to get more people interested in reaching out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still looking for more people. I'm con- contactable through Twitter at, at J a Christian. Um, and I've been setting up a bunch for the next couple weeks. So
1: Awesome. Well, I hope people check that out. Um, I know you got other assignments today, but I got one little feature that I want to start adding to the Total SF podcast. Um, I'm calling it right now things we took things we took for granted. but I don't want it to be like something where we're guiltying ourselves. I want it to be sort of like looking back at the things maybe we should have done, but also when this thing's over the things we're looking forward to doing and I'm just thinking like I'm not going to get to a movie theater or a ball game for months but that first time and second time and third time back in a movie theater or a baseball game just thinking how good it's going to feel so I'm going to ask you I'm going to tell you one and I'm going to ask you things that we took for granted um mine is uh the Irish Newsboys our Chronicle band which is Kevin Fagan um it's a group of Chronicle people who've been involved, but Kevin Fagan, Steve Rubenstein, um, uh, Ellen Hewitt, who was a young business reporter, played flute for a while. People come and go. Um, they played at Leftio Duels for a while, and I forget where they are now, but they've moved around. Two members of like completely legendary Woodstock-era bands, Peter Albin from Big Brother and the Holding Company and Barry Melton from um, Country Joe and the Fish, Are in the band they they frequently show up we get these notices all the time I love Kevin I just he's (laughs) been like such a good you know when I was younger and a lot of the people that I worked with were like going to the bars and not it it wasn't where I wanted to be in my life I wanted to settle down I looked at people like Kevin who is a fun-loving guy and loves art and all this stuff and yet he goes home and he's got this family and I want to be like Kevin, you know, and I just love the guy. I love his music. Why the hell didn't I go see his band? I mean, it's like they play like four or five blocks from the Chronicle. They play every other week. I get the notice and I always make an excuse not to go. And I know I would have had a good time. So I'm going to go see the Irish news boys. I'm going to drink some Jameson on the rocks and Guinness, whatever, bring some friends. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, that day, so that's what I that's that's my thing I took for granted. Have you got one?
0: I do, and it's a little more somber than that, but yeah. it's so serious, and I think that so I'm young, I'm in my twenties um with this whole thing right now. It's like I don't even know if I'm carrying whatever this is. I don't know who I'm infecting or whatever, and I think about my family a lot where it's like i my grandma's in a nursing home right now, and I visited her a good amount, I mean maybe every other week for realistically what I could do. And now she's in, you know, a situation where my family can't visit her at all and she doesn't have a phone there. Um, So I think that, yeah, I'm longing to see my family. And my my grandpa is also living with my mom, which is really gives me a good peace of mind that they're together and supporting each other. But it kills me that I can't, you know, even just this possibility. And because I'm so out in the world with my work. I can't go see them or hug them or anything so i'm really looking forward to visiting
1: when's the last time you've seen your family and i know it probably feels a lot longer than the date you're going to give me
0: but... it was march 1st that same yeah. day i did the theater play i went and had dinner with my mom and yeah. my grandpa and i visited my grandma that day too so i feel good about that where i made those trips the very last time i really could and i find a lot of comfort knowing that like my grandma's safe she's in the best care and my grandpa's being taken care of but it's just that physical barrier is just so different because i'm very yeah. close to them so i can't wait to see them and just hug them oh that's great <laughs> it's gonna be great
1: yeah um well i i really appreciate you coming here and and uh, uh i want you to take care of yourself Definitely. um i just like think you do fantastic work and i want to tell you not to be so hard on yourself because we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but we're kind of hardwired the same way. And I really, in my head, it's something that actually I think is good because it fuels me, but I think I'm only as good as the last two weeks and I forget about what came before that. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a time where you've got to just have this 30,000 foot view of yourself and know that you're awesome. And if you don't know it, then trust me, um, you do incredible work and I'm really proud to work with you.
0: Thank you so much, I really appreciate that. You too, you're amazing.
1: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll close this off. We got through without crying, and uh, Ripley uh, Ripley's not on the chair anymore, but she's <laughs> cruising around. She's super comfortable with you. So um, when this is all over, or maybe another time as it's going on, we'll we'll be real careful. But um, just love to have you back on, and look forward to working with you some more.
0: Can't wait. Thanks.
1: All right. Thank you. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guest, Jessica Christian. Total SF is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Jessica and my colleagues have been putting themselves out there doing incredible work over the last week. Now more than ever, support Total SF and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at www.sfchronicle.com pod.